That's page 603, Psalm 98, beginning at verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the earth, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Margaret. I'm just going to remove this so you can actually see me. More importantly, I can see you as well. You'll remember that a number of psalms were, were written and used at times of great celebration, perhaps a great victory or the enthronement of a king. But the royal psalm here, Psalm 98 that we've just read, um, celebrates not just the king, but the great king. God, in fact, as the great king. Interestingly, uh, today, in the more traditional churches, uh, the psalm's known as the Cantati Domino. It's Latin. Um, for all sing to the Lord. And it's sung in the evening service between the Old and the New Testament readings. And I think they got it right because Psalm 98 is placed in that service just where it should be, between the Old Testament scripture and its New Testament fulfilment. Because that's what the psalm is. Although, I must say, when I was leading the evening service uh, in Anglican churches, even song they called it, um, the organist came to me shortly after I started and asked um, if I could <coughs> speak the words instead of singing them. <laughs> oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. I don't know what his problem was. <laughs> It's thought that Mary would have had this song in mind uh, when she spoke those words in Luke chapter 1. We know it. Um, oh, come, not oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord, but the Magnificat in this case. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Isaac Watts, great hymn writer, wrote a poem 
that was later set to music based wholly on this psalm, Psalm 98. And uh, it was put to music and turned into a hymn. It was a hymn about the second coming of Christ, but it's quite often used at Christmas time for um, celebrations of his birth. The hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, based upon Psalm 98. It's a psalm about God. It's about the great king who brings salvation to a needy world because salvation belongs to our God. Let's look for God as we read through these words. You'll find them on page six or three if you've closed the Bibles already. And what I want to do is have a look at the number of times that it mentions God or the Lord, one of the names uh, for him. So let's look at that. Sing to the Lord. A new song, for he, he has done marvellous things. His right hand and holy arm has worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst forth into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. He will judge the world with righteousness and equity. So the Lord is right there at the centre of that psalm, a bit like the wording through a stick of Blackpool Rock. The context of all that is salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your truth. Thank you that we can uh, come to you, study it, learn more of it, and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. And we pray that today you will do this, just that. You will apply that word to each one of us, Lord, in your way, in a way that is unique to you, in a way that will cause us to lift you up in songs, in worship, based upon the marvellous things that you've done, but based upon who you are, Lord, for you alone are worthy. Give us that hearing and that willingness to act upon what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've um, entitled this psalm, Salvation Belongs to Our God. And it breaks down nicely into three parts, verses 1 to 3. And I've called that 
Salvation belongs to our God. His righteousness extends to us and to our salvation. It extended to Israel. Looking back over the history of Israel, they had much to celebrate. The trouble is with Israel is that they were a disobedient people at times. But you know what? God, their king, was always willing to forgive them and indeed performed some great and marvellous things for them. I mean, think of the exodus. There were people out there. They were um, involved with the Egyptians, the Egyptian gods as well. And as they sought to turn to him, he turned to them and led them out into uh, freedom. Think of the constant battles in Canaan. The times when, although, again, they'd been unfaithful to God, involved in worship of other gods, this God of salvation comes right back to them with the intention of forgiving them and saving them from an higher elation and restoring them to the people he wants to be. When they were weak and faced an uncompromising enemy, time after time, Israel experienced God on their side. But when they were unfaithful and unrepentant, then they suffered the consequences of their sin. We know they were carried away into captivity at one point. But they could uh, turn, they could have turned around and looked at their own success with pride. Except you'll notice in verse 1 that it is his right hand and his holy arm that worked salvation for them. It wasn't their victory at all that they were celebrating because all power is his. For he has done marvellous things. Who worked salvation for Israel? I like Isaiah uh, chapter 52 and verse 10. It picks upon that nicely. It says, <clears throat> The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of their God. It was God's right hand and his holy arm, his own power at work that brought salvation and today brings salvation to those willing to repent of their sins and to offer themselves to him. He brought salvation to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> you and I, that's all people have that offer of salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. Israel's God was also the king of the nations. You know what? Salvation is shocking. It's offered to the most disobedient and wayward people. It's undeserved. Israel didn't deserve it. Neither do we. But it's a gift of God. The psalm makes clear that it's a gift for each one of us too. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. The name of Jesus is derived from the word Yeshua. Salvation means to rescue, to deliver, to bring freedom from something. 
So the Lord told Joseph that Mary would have a son, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. Israel was effectively offered salvation, and that salvation is also offered to nations in the person and through the work of Jesus. And salvation is a core concept, not just in this psalm, but in the word of God. It underpins its every aspect. It's the opposite of only self-reliance way of life. Usually a way that's coupled with power and money. And the presence of these two, as you know, have been leading many to the illusion of uh, godliness in themselves and power. It was prevalent in the Bible, of course. Many kings turned away from God, believing that their power, and their power alone, uh, could serve them as an answer to every foreseeable di difficulty and hardship and adversity. <clears throat> The common factor of only self-reliant people is the belief that they will never need God's salvation. And that's led to the demise of kingdoms, of nations, and of individuals throughout history. The outcry of prophets mostly ignored, leading to inevitable destruction. You remember that in the New Testament, a rich man came to Jesus, claiming that he had followed all his commands. Jesus challenged him to give up his wealth for Jesus' sake and give it to the poor. And that is, giving up his self-centred way of life, his trust in what he had, and to follow him. Like many, it was one step too far for the man. So self-reliance, self-centredness, disasters, destruction are paving many paths of mankind's history. But that's not the planned destiny of humankind. Salvation is his, and salvation belongs, am I alone, to our God. You'll have that little phrase in your mind throughout the week, I hope. Eventually, we realise that the only res rescue from complete destruction is God himself. I wonder how often you, like me, have been in a situation where you thought it was all down to you. Success, gaining a job, getting great money. It's not you. It's not you. It's God providing for you. And we forget that at our peril. The success is not yours. It's his. We should be shouting that from the rooftops. We should be singing to the Lord a new song. We should be proclaiming his marvellous ways throughout our nation. Salvation belongs to our God. <laughs> We're getting there, aren't we? It doesn't belong to our own cleverness, wily ways, hard work. We need rescuing from those things and turning to complete Reliance upon God for salvation belongs to our God. Salvation also calls for a response, verses 4 to 6. Isaiah puts it well, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. That's in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. 
So when Israel were called in uh, verse 1 to sing that uh, new song unto the Lord, their rejoicing was to be in him. It was to be a new song, something that expressed their love and their trust in him. They were to shout for joy with all the earth, make jubilant uh, noise, song with music. That's verse 4. Do you know that the noise of the temple worship was legendary? <clears throat> Examples of Israel's worship, as, um, as it was known, was described in Second Chronicles chapter 29, in Ezra chapter 3, amongst other places. It was exuberant. It was exuberant. The sounds of instruments and the shouts of the people are said to have been heard far away. What they were doing was praising God for his goodness. And God's calling for praise from a people who are, have a new experience with him. Salvation. It was offered to Israel. It's offered to you and I as well. I was thinking as an aside the other day about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Or as my dad used to say, shake your bed, make your bed and in you go. <laughs> it, it's in the biblical book of Daniel. Here's what happened briefly. King Nebuchadnezzar had an image made of gold and uh, he ordered the people to bow down and worship it. And musical instruments of the kind mentioned in the Psalm 98 uh, were used uh, to praise, to help people to worship the uh, false god, the god made of gold. The only men, as you know, who um, wouldn't do that and wouldn't bow down to that gold image were those three uh, men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we know they went to the fiery furnace. But in God, they tasted his salvation. They survived. But look at God's original intention for these instruments mentioned here in Psalm 98. Um, the original intention was for them to be used to praise God, to worship God. Used in the service of the worship of the living God. Sing for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp, the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. And shout for joy before the Lord. The King. Many in uh, those times chose not to honour God. And that's so true of these times as well. Well, they're happy to turn to other gods, uh, idols. We heard this from Phil Nightingale last week. And to give their time to pursuing things not of God. You and I are designed to live to the praise of God. One of the statements of faith of the Protestant churches, <clears throat> known as the Westminster Catechism, states that the chief end of man, for which they mean mankind, <clears throat> is to worship God. The chief end of man is to worship God. And I need to ask, are you achieving your chief end? Your calling to follow, honour, worship and serve God? Or are you building your life on other things. Remember, salvation belongs to our God. It's his to give and it's ours to receive.
purely through Jesus Christ who died in our place upon the cross. He paid the penalty that we deserve for our sins, dying in our place that we might come to know God. Have you done that? Are you here today? Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and ruler of your life? Can you say that you now have access to God in a relationship that is real and meaningful? Can you offer genuine praise and worship to God as Israel were challenged to do in this psalm? If not, then let me know this and let yourself know this too. He's willing to offer you his salvation this day. Let us all know this. Let us all taste of this. Let us all experience this. Let us all come to know he who has done marvellous things and will do marvellous things in each of our lives. Look at verses 9 to 7. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation calls for our response. Finally, salvation means that God will restore all things. If you wanted to turn to page 1135, 1135, and we're looking at chapter 8, verses 19 to 23. Paul writing in those verses say, For the creation waits in <clears throat> eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We're back to the psalm now. Page 603. The time is coming. Salvation belongs to our God. Restoration of the whole creation is his promise, his will, his aim. Those verses 7 to 9. Out of groaning comes the call to all creation to be liberated from its bondage to the effects of sin. No wonder he says, like the sea resound, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. <clears throat> Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world 
in righteousness, and the peoples with equity. That time is coming. That time is on its way. Because salvation belongs to our God. Restoration is his work. His righteous rule and his reign will be a welcome relief for all creation that has suffered under the sin and the rebellion of mankind. Nature will not come into its own until man himself, or mankind, its proper master, is ruled in righteousness and in equity. C.S. Lewis developed that idea in his book, uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. In the first section of that book, when uh, the wicked witch of the north was uh, in power, the land was in a state of perpetual winter. A bit like here this summer. (laughs) Spring never came. But when Aslan, representative of Jesus, rose from the dead, the ice began to melt. The flowers bloomed. The trees turned green. I know it's, um, it's metaphorical writing. It's a bit poetic too. But it describes something that will happen when Jesus comes. The rivers will indeed clap their hands. The mountains will indeed sing. And we will all join in. He will judge the people with equity. I guess in the ancient world, justice was, was rare. Still true sometimes in our age. But in those days, judges were bribed or uh, turned by ideology and prejudice. But the promise, something completely new. Verse 9. Completely new. It was life-changing. It was earth-shaking. It was future-focused. What um, the Bible calls new heavens and a new earth coming. The idea of coming judgment with equity was a great relief to those who were often oppressed and denied justice, of course. I can't imagine seas, rivers and mountains resounding, clapping, singing together for joy before the Lord. But I do know that the creator God will restore the rotten decay in earth and its people to something truly beautiful. He will restore his creation to all that it was first intended to be. And that will happen when he comes to judge the earth. It will be a great relief to you and I, because there is a God who loves justice. It's a God who hates sin too. But he will judge. There is a judgment coming to all humanity. The good news is that he will judge according to his righteous nature and with equity. Salvation. That should give each one of us great hope. It should fill our hearts and minds with great thankfulness. It should fill our mouths with a shout of joy and a song of praise as people here in this Psalm 98 are encouraged to do. Trust that you're going to be one of those people, 
rather than one of those who stands before the judgment of God and has to admit that they never lived to his worship. They never handed their lives, their trust, over to him. Some takeaways. Salvation belongs to our God. If you haven't said sorry for your sin, if you haven't given your life to God's control, you need to know his salvation. And he makes it available to you and to I. For those who are followers of Christ, servants of God, we ought to be sharing that message of salvation to the ends of the earth. That starts at our own doorstep, with our own family, with our own circle of family and friends. What will you do about that today? What will you do about that this week? Something for you to think about. There was a terrible account in the news on Friday and yesterday too, when a number of mountaineers, you'll have read it I'm sure, including one of the world's leading mountaineers, were heading for the top of of K2, the second highest mountain in the world, and they were going for victory to be the uh, speediest people to have climbed uh, the mountains of the world. And there was a man, a Sherpa or a porter, who lay dying. And uh, some of the people who'd uh, climbed up there, um, a second party, made a, a little video of this Sherpa lying on the ground and what looks like the people who'd gone before them stepping over that Sherpa or walking round him without stopping to help. Now, the jury's out on that one because there's a different story from uh, the first group of people, but there he was, this Sherpa. He was dying. No question about that. I want to use this as an illustration and ask how often as Christians would we walk past those who are dying because of sin without sharing the living and liberating truth of Jesus Christ? It's a challenge, isn't it? Reinhard Bonke, the evangelist, called it plundering hell and populating heaven. Plundering hell and populating heaven. Bringing people back from the abyss. Sharing God's good news with them. Let's do it. Let's share this message of salvation. For the younger ones amongst us, I know it's difficult to sing God's praise, to tell his story, to live for him in the places where you are. But God inspires God enables these things as well. We ought to begin to rely more on him. We ought to take that step out in faith amongst friends, amongst fellow students, amongst uh, the people you're found with and see how God will work through you when you do so. Because he will. Because salvation, not to you and I, but it belongs to our God. God bless you all as you take away the lessons uh, from this psalm. And I'll finish by reminding you, and you can say it once again, salvation 
Know that. Share that. Live that out. You want to talk about something over coffee? We've got a great God of salvation. Talk to each other about how we can share this with others today and this coming week. You may also want to talk to others about how you came to salvation. Because that's great to hear people witnessing and testifying. God bless you all. Thank you.